for you today, my eyes, my ears, my heart, and my mind, and I boldly declare that today I will be changed by the Word of God in Jesus' name. If you believe that, tell one person I'm going to be changed with the Word of God, and you may be seated. Am I on? Okay. Well, before we begin, uh, begin, I'm very, very honored to have a representative from the Salvation Army with us, Major Dotting, and he's going to come forward, and on behalf of you, I'm going to present this check to him. Thank you guys so much for your generosity. I really, really do appreciate it. So, Major, thank you so much for coming out and being with us. So, on behalf of the congregation here at House Rock, we'd like to present to you for hurricane relief a uh, check for $6,500. So, God bless. God bless you. I want to say this morning that it has been a privilege to be in this house of worship. It's great to be in a house where people are worshiping our um, almighty God. Amen. And to realize that we serve a risen Lord and a soon coming king. Right? Amen. Amen. Pastor Jim, on behalf of the Salvation Army that I represent, I can tell your folks out here, your congregation, that the Salvation Army has been very active in all the recent hurricanes and events that affected our country. I can also tell you that the Salvation Army has had a very large group that has been involved in each area of this country, and as well the country of the, the island of Puerto Rico. In fact, down in Puerto Rico, the Salvation Army is very large. And we lost one of our buildings with major flooding. But through it all, God has continued to bless us. We are a mighty army, but we have a silent army behind us. That silent army is folks like yourself who support us in our ministry. We in Puerto Rico have been serving almost 10 to 15,000 people daily with meals. Throughout this country, in Florida, Texas, and now even out in Las Vegas and California, we, the Army, as well as countless other organizations, have reached out to touch people who have been affected. I was mindful when I was talking to Sarah, and I don't know if Sarah is here today, but if she is, thank you for talking with me the other day. I was mindful of a passage of Scripture in the book of Matthew that tells us when I was in prison, you visited me. When I was sick, you visited me. And may I say thank you on behalf of your congregation, Pastor Jim, that when you have done it unto the least of one of these, Jesus reminds us that you have done it unto me. So on behalf of the Salvation Army, thank you very much for your generous gift. It will be used in its entirety for the ministry that is taking place. We praise God for the opportunity of reaching out and touching people. But the most important thing, and I've sensed the spirit of God. I hope I'm not taking too much of your sermon time. But while you were singing that last chorus, we in the army sing another chorus somewhat similar. And it says, spirit of the living God, fall fresh on me. Break me, melt me, mold me, fill me. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on me. We offer what we do, as well as other organizations, 
in the name of Jesus Christ with prayers that we will touch them with the gift of salvation. Amen. And they'll be one to the kingdom, Amen. even through the devastation of their lives. So thank you again, Pastor Jim. Thank you, congregation, for your generous gift. And I apologize because I need to run back to my church because I have a couple of obligations that I need to be meeting. So thank you, and God bless. God bless you. God bless you. Thank you. Now let's stand up. Come on, one more round of applause. Amen. Glory to God. Amen. Well, we're also going to be involved with the Salvation Army at Christmas time. We're going to get some families, and we're going to bless them. We like to uh, kind of change it up a little bit each time, and uh, they're very excited. We're working with them in Penargel, and uh, we'll be having some information about that. But to say something about the Salvation Army is when I went to um, Ground Zero 9-11, there's a group, four of us that went, including Michael, my son, and the devastation we saw, and there was a Salvation Army working away. They weren't in a trailer somewhere. They were out ministering to the men, giving them coffee and everything to spray. I remember my father-in-law, who was a Marine with the 1st Division Island hopping during World War II, telling me it was always a, the Salvation Army that was there, not selling things, but giving them things and helping them. And if anybody who knows anything about the Salvation Army, they, re, they don't want anything in return other than you receiving Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And so thank God for them. Amen? Put your hands out to me. Father, we believe in the name of Jesus that every word that's spoken from this pulpit, whether it's me or someone else, is from your heart through our lips. I thank you, Lord, for hearing ears that this word of God will change them. Lord, this is a message for this season. Your word says when that time comes, when the Holy Spirit is removed and that horrible tribulation begins, I thank you, Lord, that that Holy Spirit is here now working in and through us. And we thank you, Holy One. We honor you. We honor you, Jesus. We honor you, Father. We thank you for the word that comes from my mouth, is empowered by your Holy Spirit, Father. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Russell asked me to remind you guys that are involved going to the men's retreat that there's a short meeting right after this service, I believe, right? I'm not sure where it is, but you can ask where that's going to be, the guys that are going on the men's retreat. I know you won't be here next Sunday, so... Uh, Praise God, I know you guys are going to be blessed. Amen? Praise God. If you have your Bibles, I want you to go to 2 Timothy. What I'm talking about today, well, I haven't worn a tie in a while. <laughs> what I'm be talking about today, I guarantee you, is probably not going to be mentioned in about 90% of churches in America. It's a shame. And yet I have the privilege of uh, instructing, meeting with occasionally pastors from all around the world, who acknowledge the Holy Spirit of God, who's moving mightily upon the earth. And I, I don't know why people are so afraid to talk about the Holy Spirit. I always joke around and say, you know, you can get around people, you can go to in a group of people somewhere, and you can talk about God, and you can talk about spirituality, and everybody's going to kind of put their input in, but the moment you say Jesus, everybody gets the heebie-jeebies. Everybody gets uncomfortable. And yet we're saved by the blood of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice. Now, when you get around Christians, cross-denominational lines, you can talk about Jesus. And you can talk about Father God, and you can talk about the great things of the Word of God. But as soon as you start talking about the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues, the gifts of the Spirit, 
the fruit of the Holy Spirit, they get the heebie-jeebies. And I don't get it. I just ask God, I want all that you have for me. And one day, supernaturally began praying in other tongues, not understanding what it was. And yet, last week, if you did not get the, the DVD or go online, and you can see it online, last week's message, it's something that the Spirit of God made real to me. Maybe it wasn't real to you, and that's this. Paul says, I pray in my spirit, I pray in the spirit, capital S, and I pray in my understanding. And then Paul tells us to pray that you may interpret what you pray. And the word of God says that we speak in mysteries. God speaking through us, our spirit, through the Holy Spirit, speaking to God, mysteries. In other words, no man understands it. Not speaking in a foreign language, no man understands what you're speaking. But then it says, pray that you may interpret. And I found that when Paul says, I pray in the spirit, and I pray in my understanding, I now realize what he's saying. That when he prays the mysteries unto God, he realizes that God is speaking things over him and his situations in life or whatever. And then when he prays for the interpretation, whether God gives it to him in circumstances through other people, or he begins to pray in the understanding, he gets the understanding of what God is saying to him. Hallelujah. Well, I've been trying this out all week, and I'm telling you, it works. Certain questions I had, certain things I was concerned about, and I began to pray in the Holy Spirit. It's something you can ask for, praying in the Holy Spirit, praying in tongues, whatever you call it, and uh, didn't understand what I was praying. But then later on, things began to manifest, and I began to see pieces coming together, the answers that God was giving to me. And I began to realize before I even come up here to preach, I don't want to preach in my own ability. I don't want to preach as a man using enticing words of man's wisdom, as Paul says. I want to speak by the Spirit of God to this congregation at this time in this age that will help you, change you, empower you, strengthen you by the Spirit of God because God loves us. And if he, you say, God, would you talk to me? That's why we go to church. That's why we pray. That's why we pray in the Holy Spirit that God may talk to us. And God wants to talk to you. One of these days, this is all going to be over. Whether you're going to meet the Lord out of the grave, said, you know, Lord, it says many sleep, and you know, yet your word says we go right to be with Jesus Christ. And I began to realize several years ago, I went for surgery. I had a hernia surgery done, and uh, I remember uh, I was in the prep room, and they came in, and they gave me shot to the IV, and the next thing I know, I hear somebody going, wake up, Jim, wake up, and I'm going, when are we going in? He says, oh, you're already done. I didn't even remember it. Well, when you go to the grave, in one second you'll be with Jesus because whether you're in that grave a thousand years, you're just not going to remember that you were there. You're instantly going to be with the Lord. Hallelujah. I, know I get excited about that. The key here is we need to be a church that's sensitive to what God is saying today. Here's a scripture found in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 5 that's incredible and it's scary. Because it says it describes many churches that are out there today and many Christians. And it says this, and I quote, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. What the heck does that mean? Having a form of godliness, but not benign, denying the power thereof. That word power is the word dunamis. It's the, given, it's the ability given by God to be and to do. But he say dunamis. So if we use that translation of that word in the Greek and we put it into the scripture, let's read it this way. 
having a form of godliness, but denying the need for God's ability to be and to do. It is trying to work it up, pray it up, dance it up, sing it up, fast it up. It's doing everything you think that's going to get you the ability to know God and understand the Bible and apply those truths to everyday living. We can't do it on our own. Of those types of people in churches, it says in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 7 that they are, quote, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. You can know all the scriptures, you can know the Greek and Hebrew, whatever, but that's the letter of the law. That's the letter of the word. But there's something down deep inside of that where God is giving you the word of God so you get to know God. Listen, this has become so real to me. John 1, 1. In the beginning was the... And the word was with God, was God. And the word became flesh. So I realize as I get to know the word of God, I'm getting to know Jesus. But there's mysteries in the word of God, and I'm going to need the help of the Holy Spirit through prayer, praying in the Holy Spirit, praying in my understanding, to understand what that word is saying. Because the purpose of the word of God is not for you to get to know the word of God, it's for you to get to know the word of God, who is Jesus. Thank God that what the major said, it's all about Jesus. What does the word of God say about God's will for mankind? How many want to know God's will for mankind? In other words, God's will for me. What is God's will? 1 Timothy 2.4. Who would, all men, would have all men to be saved. How many agree with that? That's the first of our vision. The wed vision. Winning souls for Jesus Christ. That all men would be saved. That's good. But that's only half of it. 1 Timothy 2.4 who would have all men to be saved and to come into the knowledge of the truth. So there's salvation, and then we're coming, it's a process called the new birth, we're coming into the process of getting to know the truth. Now what does God's word have to say about God's will for mankind? That all men be saved and they come into the knowledge of the truth. The born-again experience is when the person realizes that they are sinners, and that they're separated from God. They repent, and they ask Jesus to forgive them. Then they surrender to a greater power than themselves. What for? To change. That's the role of the dunamis power of God. So without the dunamis, this power of God, we cannot fulfill the will of God for our lives. I can't do this on my own. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, there's a lot of people leaning on their own understanding. Go to Bible school, you go to seminary, and you get all the deep, deep meaning. That's man's wisdom. Nothing wrong with that. But couple it with the Holy Spirit now. Who's going to speak mysteries to us? And then we get the understanding. And we understand what the Word of God says. I finally realized this, and again by the Holy Spirit, that God wants all men to be saved. But that's only half of it. And that's what the reason the church is. That's the reason for Bible studies. That's the reason where, where, where you go to Bible school. It's so you get to know the truth. Truth about what? Who God is. Who you are. Who you are in the eyes of God. What life is really all about. And what is the truth out there going on? 
Who, why are things happening on the earth? Why, why is this relationship not happening? Why is this going on? And there's where we, we seek the truth about God. God's truth is opposite from man's truth. We're to forgive our enemies. Wow. We're to pray for those who despitefully use us and persecute us. Why? Because we're demonstrating the mercy and the forgiveness of God. Because, you know, if I don't do that for other people, thank God he's done it for me. How about you? I'm sure you've screwed up a lot, too, in life. And we need the mercy and the grace of God. The role of the dunamis power of God, the Holy Spirit, is to lead you into truth. I read something not too long ago. Wow, really, really set me free. Listen to this. I can best describe this process of the dunamis power of God working in us by combining two scriptures in the Bible. John 3.16. Everybody knows John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have what? Now I guarantee you, you and I probably have always thought that eternal life meant we're going to live forever. Right? But eternity has no beginning, has no end. We're in eternity right now. And the cool thing is that's absolutely correct. But I asked the Lord, what do you mean by eternity? And believe it or not, right in the Bible, God says, this, what, this is what eternity is. And that's what finding the truth is all about. Because eternity, in my understanding, is when I die, I will live forever. And I will. My spirit will go on and be with the Lord. The way God expected this earth to be, I believe, will be recreated and will be with the Lord forever and ever. Hallelujah. But the Lord showed me something. And it was found in John 17, 3. Now, if God in his word says, this is what this means, are you going to believe it? God says, this is what this means. We all know what John 3, 16 says, but what about John 17, 3? Listen, listen, you ready? And I quote, Jesus speaking, and this is eternal life. You ready? And this is eternal life, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus who has sent them, that which whom thou hast sent. Let me say it again. And this is eternal life, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. That's eternal. The Bible defines eternal life. Yes, we're living forever. But in God's eyes, eternal life is this, that you may come to know the true and only living God, and that you may know Jesus Christ. And I'm not talking about knowing about him. I'm talking about knowing him. And I guarantee you, and I can put myself in that category not as much as before, but we really don't know Jesus. And we really don't know the Father. Listen to some of the things that come out of your mouth. And they're opposite of what God says. God makes us sick to teach us a lesson. That's nowhere in the Word of God. God tests us. That's funny because the book of James says, don't say that God tempts you because he doesn't tempt men. The enemy tempts people, and we're tempted of our own lusts. Are we tempted? Yeah. Do we have to face things in life that are tough? Yes. And God stands back and with his Holy Spirit does everything he can to help you get through it. 
When I was down in a pit, one of the lowest parts of my life, the Lord said, I'm here with you. I'm down here in a pit with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. But I've screwed up. God said it doesn't matter. I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's the God I have come to know. That's the Jesus who I've come to know. So let's combine the scripture verses. For God so greatly loved and dearly prized the world that he even gave up his only begotten son so that whoever trusts in, clings to, relies upon him, Jesus, shall not perish but be given the ability to know, perceive, and recognize and become fully acquainted and understand the only true and real God and likewise know Jesus Christ, the anointed one. Woo, glory to God. Salvation is receiving Jesus as Lord and Savior. And then you're born again. Now, I think most of you were born as babies. Uh, there may be someone here that thought they landed from another planet, full adult. Please don't come see me after service. But most of you were born a baby. And when you're born a baby, you've got to learn things. So when you're born again, you've got to start all over. You have the ability now of receiving the Holy Spirit who will now give you the, um, the ability to understand who God is and who the Holy Spirit is, and who Jesus is, and what his word says about God, about me, and about life. When you know that God has everything in his hand, you know the song, God's got the whole world in his hand, that's true. He knows what's going on, everything's going on according to plan. Why are all these bad things happening? Because the enemy's here. The enemy hates mankind. The enemy wants to kill as many people as he can before they get to acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. But I found out, according to this scripture verse, that not only does God want me saved, he wants me to get to know him and Jesus Christ personally, intimately, with absolutely no doubt who they are. Amen? So no one can ever come to know God and understand his ways or live them apart from the Holy Spirit. Nicodemus comes to Jesus, says, you've got to be of God. Nobody can do the things you're doing without God. Now, what is Jesus able to do? He's filled with the Holy Spirit. Luke 4 says he came out in the power of the Holy Spirit after his temptation. And then in 4.18, Luke 4.18, it talks about all the things he's able to do. Why? Because the Spirit of God is upon me. That's what he says. The Spirit of God is upon me, therefore, and then he talks about all the great things he's going to do. Nicodemus says, what do you got here? Remember, Nicodemus finally got saved. These are the ones that helped put Jesus in, the, in that tomb and was believing for Jesus' return. And Jesus says to him something absolutely incredible that I never saw before until I looked it up in the Greek. It's found in John 3, 3. If you want to turn there, you may want to underline that, circle it or something. hope you guys bring your Bibles to church so you can go home and read them and Get to know God. Ready? Jesus says to Nicodemus, ready? Verily that I say unto you, except the man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless a person is born again, they cannot see the kingdom of God. I always thought, I will never see the kingdom of God with my eyes. That's not what it means. Unless a man be born again, he cannot see, E-I-D-O-N, 
fully understand God in his ways. Until a man is born again, he cannot fully understand God and his ways. There's a lot of people out there, some have knocked on your door, and they can quote scripture, and they would know God from a flying pig. I'm telling you, they don't know God. They don't know him. Why? They've never received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. When you receive Jesus Christ, Lord and Savior, as the Bible says, scales fall off your eyes. And now it's the Holy Spirit's job as you read the word, as you go to church, as you pray and seek God for him to lead you into all truth. But unless you're born again, you're not going to understand the truth. What does that mean? Unless you're born again, the Holy Spirit is not able to come upon you, be within you to show you what that truth is. That power is not some supernatural feeling or some kind of higher mental ascent. That power is nothing less than God himself in spirit form called the Holy Spirit that can possess you. A.W. Tozer, if you ever read anything by him, great, great pastor, I think he's passed away, great man of God, said this, a new and different spirit enters the personality and makes the believing man new in every department of his being. His interests shift from things external to things internal, from things on earth to things in heaven. Have you noticed that? There's some areas in my life, honestly, I'm a little more concerned about what's going on here than I am about what's going to be going on in my life with God, maybe in heaven. And that process, going from faith to faith, is what's going on in all our lives. Well, you found out, well, you know, that, that's not important as I thought it was. That's when the change comes. That power, that manifestation, made his debut in Acts chapter 2. How can you deny Acts chapter 2. How can you, what I call convenient word people, you, you pull out of the Bible what you want and leave in, well, I'm pull out what you don't want, leave in what you want. I can't help but read Acts chapter 2 and realize that's still going on right now. So that dunamis power shows up in Acts chapter 2. That which came upon the disciples in the upper room was nothing less than God himself. God came and enveloped, came and filled, came and made residence in these men and women of God. The God who had appeared to them in fire, as fire, throughout their long history in the Old Testament, now was dwelling in them as fire. I'm on fire. I have the fire of the Holy Ghost in me. How in the world can you be the same when the fire of God is burning within you? The atoning work of Jesus Christ, who bought our justification, our sanctification, our new creation, is nothing more than God preparing us to receive his own being as the Holy Spirit. No one can ever come to God. No one can ever get to know God. No one can ever receive their assignment in life. No one possibly could live righteous before God without that power of God within them. Taught a message one time, not in this church, in another one, it kind of raised eyebrows because some people didn't believe this, but it's in the Word of God. The Holy Spirit convicts. Some people don't believe that. The Holy Spirit convicts. Have you ever done something stupid or wrong or said something to somebody and you feel pretty lousy after you did it? Guess who that is? That was my conscience. That's the Holy Spirit. 
I've had the Holy Spirit say more times than never, like, you shouldn't have done that. You shouldn't have said that. That was wrong. Take care of it. Yes, sir. The promise of Jesus arrived on the day of Pentecost. That power that was promised in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 by Jesus, go, telling what, left, what were left of the, the, the disciples. There are hundreds of them. I want you to go to Jerusalem, and I want you to wait there until the Holy Spirit comes and empowers you. Now, why do they have to wait? And how long did they wait? Anybody know how long they waited? Ten days. Thank you. Ten days. Some of us can't wait an hour. Ten days. Why were they waiting? Well, I can only guess that Jesus was going to ascend to heaven and he had some work to do up there. I believe he took his blood, sprinkled it on the mercy seat. He carried out the roles of our high priest, cleansing those who believed in him of all sin, making them clean and susceptible to receive the Holy Spirit. That Holy Spirit is God dwelling in you. Hallelujah. And at John chapter 15, verse 4, it says, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except you abide in the, band, no, in the vine, no more can you, except you abide in me. Are we getting this? We can't do zip without the Holy Spirit. God in us. For some reason, people think when they receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, they sprout wings, get a white robe, and have a halo over their head. Ain't so. <laughs> if you're like me, you're going to make some mistakes sometimes. You're going to say some stupid things and do some stupid things. But that's why we have the grace and mercy of God. And that's why we're in a learning process. I am a work under construction. And the Holy Spirit is the one in me that's helping me to grow and helping me to change and to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And that's why sometimes, Lord, I need help in this area. I'll start to pray in the Holy Spirit. And what's happening is God is speaking through me in mysteries. Why is he doing it that way? I haven't the foggiest. All I know is that's what happened. The disciples asked Jesus, why are you speaking in parables? Because he said, it's only meant for you to understand that. And who's going to give them the understanding? But the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You're praying for something. I, I don't know about you. I go, I switch off praying tongues. I'm speaking mysteries. God's speaking back to me through the Holy Spirit. And then all of a sudden I'm getting the answer. Or I may get it immediately by praying. All of a sudden I found myself praying in English. And I realized I'm, I'm praying my answer. Which God gave to me. Hallelujah. Abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself. Except you abide in the vine. No more can you. Except you abide in me. Man, I need to abide in God. Some would say, well, that's me living right before God. Well, yeah, no. It is the surrendered person allowing God to live and work through them. So many are trying to be good enough to earn his presence in their lives. You're not good enough. You're good enough because of what Jesus Christ has done for you. I am made clean by the blood of Jesus. And now, Holy Spirit, I invite you in. Possess every part of me. But the question is, do you possess the presence of God in your life? Or should I say it this way? Are you possessed with the dunamis power of God? 
because Jesus died that you may have that. This is the Holy Spirit of God in dwelling men. In Acts chapter 2, God moved from without the exterior into the interior of their lives. The Shekinah that once blazed over the mercy seat is now blazing in the foreheads as an external emblem of the fire that invaded their nature. That was the symbol. The fire that was without now has moved in. Hallelujah. Listen to this quote. One of the most telling blows which the enemy of God and man has ever struck at the life of the church was to create in her a fear of this Holy Ghost fire. I'll say that again. One of the most telling blows which the enemy of God and man has ever struck at the life of the church was to create in her a fear of this Holy Ghost fire. Why are Christians afraid of the Holy Ghost? He's unpredictable. It's, and I'll tell you, sometimes I have a fear of flying. Sometimes. And I ask the Lord why, and he says, because you're not in control. Think about some things you're afraid of. It's because you are not in control. And that's why it says, lean not on your own understanding, but acknowledge God in all your ways, and he will direct your path. It comes down to trust. doesn't mean you sit around and do nothing, but i got to trust that every time I do something, I know that God is with me. There's no doubt at all, in my opinion, that the church of God today needs the Holy Spirit more than ever before. I'm going to start this, and I taught this a long, long time ago. Some of you may recognize it, but the truth is true. The Holy Ghost will affect the change in us in six areas of our lives. Let's see if we can get through at least two. One, first of all, the Holy Spirit is a moral flame. What's that mean? Holy Spirit. Holy, say it, holy He's called the Holy Spirit because he's holy. The word holy, holy, undoubtedly carries with it the idea of moral purity. Moral purity. One cannot expect to walk in the fullness of the Holy Spirit if you're living an immoral life, if you're living moral carelessness or borderline sin. And thank God, if you ask for the Holy Spirit, he's going to show you areas in your life that you really don't want to be there. You don't want to say those things. You may not want to be around certain people or go certain places. Now, please get out of your mind and, oh, no, now I can't have any more fun. Yes, you will. You'll have more understanding and more fun than you ever had before. There's a constant cycle that occurs in a believer's life every day, and it's this. Surrender. Possession of power to be and to do. That's the Holy Spirit. Then you're going to desire to change. And you're going to see things wrong in your life. And then you're going to surrender again. That's the cycle. Spirit of God. I read something in the Word of God. I see something I'm not doing. I see something that the Holy Spirit's saying, I want to mature you in this area. And I don't know how to do it. So I surrender to the Holy Spirit. I say, Holy Spirit, have your way in me. Do whatever you need to do. And that desire grows to want to change. It makes me want to even surrender more. 
and then you get the victory. Hallelujah. And that cycle can be only broken by your will to sin and disobey God. Listen to James chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. James chapter 4, verse 8 and 9. Let me start 7. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. I wonder how many people do that. Resist the devil. How do you resist the devil? With the word of God. The spoken word of God. Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted, mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning. Let your joy to heaviness. Humble yourself in the sight of God. Now, all those things that we got to do. Oh, you got to be kidding me. Humble yourself before God. This is what it says. And he, he, he shall lift you up. I can't do it on my own. Lord, help me in this area. And he lifts you up. And you give glory to God. And I think one of the greatest evidences of a successful church and a successful Christian is that you were not the same person you were one year ago. Neither will you be the same person you are one year from now. Does that mean you're going to sprout wings and get a halo? No. You're going to be able to overcome things you couldn't overcome before. You're going to learn to say no. No, I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm going to kick this habit. I'm, I'm going to lose this anger. I'm going to forgive that person. I want to do what's right in the sight of God because, and this is one of the greatest compliments ever paid to me, was when I knew God was calling me to come to Pennsylvania. And I had an incredible position where I was. Our church was world known. And I remember my pastor saying, because I am world known, you're world known. You will be world known. And I knew the Spirit of God was calling me to leave and to come and start a work here, not even knowing where this place was. And I remember a great man of God, I won't say his name, came to our church, and he looked at me and pointed his finger, and he said, this is your home, this is your place. So I figured, okay, my pastor must have said something to him, and he's trying to talk me out of it. So in five seconds, I went over to my pastor's wife, and I said, may I talk to you in private, please? Right out of the service. We went out into a room, and I said, do you believe that I am called to go where I'm going, or don't you believe what I'm telling you? And she gave me the highest compliment I ever said. Jim, you fear God more than you fear anybody else. And I said, you are absolutely correct. I don't care what anybody thinks of me. I don't care what you say, whatever. I do not want to displease God. I'm afraid more of God. Listen, I've had hell go through my life. I have faced more than most people have faced. And I'll tell you something. I've never, ever, ever, ever abandoned God. He's the only answer. He's the answer to everything. I fear him more than any person or anything. And that's the way you can be and will be. So if the Holy Spirit is first of all a moral flame, moral flame, then if there's one thing that reveals to me that the power to change has invaded my life, it's a change and a desire to change, to be better for God. Let's do number two, and then we'll stop. The Holy Spirit is a spiritual flame. Say, the Holy Spirit is a spirit. 
He alone is the one that raises our worship up to spiritual levels. Doing a great job, Brian. The, the, the group up here is doing a great job. We need a guitar player. We need a bass. We need a, 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 a keyboard player. And we need people who can take their place when they want to take a break. Because to me, worship is incredible. What a job you have doing worship. Hallelujah. But it's only when the whole, and I think that's what the major sense. And I sense it. Now, I want to sometimes just cry because you can sense the Spirit of God when we get in certain courses. Why? Because we're focused on God and God alone. And the Word of God tells me that God inhabits the praises of his people. And in the presence of the Lord is fullness of joy. Why would you not want to worship God, have God inhabit your praise, and then fill you with joy? Praise God. When you are receiving the Holy Spirit, it's the power of God within us. He undertakes the role of raising your soul, your being, to an incredible receptivity to God. You sense who he is. You sense his voice. You sense his presence. It's not a worked up thing. It's not an emotional thing to, to get everybody stirred up to worship and praise. It's not the frenzy of dancing or waving flags or whatever, but it's the sensing of God's holy presence. And once you possess him, the thoughts of losing him is as impacting as losing your own life. I don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, I don't want you to move off. And he doesn't. David expressed this in Psalm 52, verse 11. He said, take not thy spirit from me. And David could only have the spirit come upon him and then leave him for seasons because he wasn't a clean vessel yet. You see, we're dirty vessels. And the Holy Spirit cannot possess us until we are clean. And a lot of people are trying to clean themselves up. But I got news for you, you can't do it on your own. It's the Holy, it's receiving Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And he cleanses you from the Holy Spirit, from evil, so the Holy Spirit can move in. Hallelujah. God expects us to know him and not know about him. The word of God says that God is a spirit. And we can know, only know him on that level. The Holy Spirit role is enabling us to know him by, igni by igniting within us a spiritual flame that lights our understanding of spiritual things. I think I'm going to stop here because we're going to receive communion. I, what I'm trying to do to this church, and we'll probably really press in even harder next week, is to give you an insatiable desire to have all that God has for you. God, I know there's more. God, I know there's more. I, I know there's a way I can send you everywhere I'm at, everywhere I'm doing. I'm not getting religious on you, folks. I'm just telling you that God can be, be with you, possess you, talk to you every second, every minute, every day of your life. So we can stop operating in this fear-filled, worrisome, anxiety-depressing world that's bombarding us with all the hell going on around us. And you can realize there's another level of living above this. Yeah, some things out there frighten me, but I know without a shadow of a doubt that God is in control, that God has his hand upon my life. If I were to die this instant, I will go to be with the Lord forever. 
And I want to go knowing that I've done everything that God wanted me to do in this life. I pray that God gives you a hunger for more of what God has for you. We are so, the enemy is giving us so many diversions. You know what's scary? My daughter Jamie told me that she's teaching in a school. And it's amazing because she used to teach in a Christian school how God is not mentioned. Parents, listen to me. There are kids out there that don't even know what a Bible is. They hear nothing about God. And all they hear about God is negative on television, in movies or whatever. They have absolutely no comprehension. Because at least when I grew up, we had a Bible in our house, went to church occasionally, and God was mentioned. I remember we would pledge allegiance to the flag, and we all took turns reading a psalm. God forbid now we do that. So parents, I'm telling you, you need to have the Holy Spirit in you to enable you to teach your children there is a God. And I pray there is a generation coming up that will be bold enough to say there is a God. The Lord, he is God and him alone. And I pray that in the name of Jesus that you guys have an insatiable desire to go home and say, Lord, I want all of you. I want all that you have for me. I am tired of being motivated, being, being, being affected by what's going around the world, about all the nonsense I'm hearing. Lord, you're real, and I want to know it. Amen? Every head bow, every eye closed. I read to you earlier what Jesus said to a very religious man. He was a Pharisee. He did everything he knew in his power to please God and, and hoping he was earning his way to heaven. And there's people maybe sitting in this room thinking that you've got to do all these things to earn points with God and make it to heaven, when in reality that is not the case at all. You're not judged by whether you're good or bad. You're judged by what you do with Jesus. And then you're rewarded by what you do. But if you're sitting here today and you said, Pastor, I know I'm not a good person. I'm trying my best. I'm telling you, here's what the Word of God says. Unless a man be born again, you're not going to understand the things of God. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the lordship of Jesus, and believe in thine heart that God is raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. And salvation is when, isn't when you die, it begins right now. It's divine protection, it's divine provision, it's a, it's a surety to know that God is with me when I go through the hellish experiences of life. When I lose a loved one, God is there. When I go through financial lack, God is there. When I'm going through a sickness or disease, God is there to deliver me. But he does that for his own. It's so simple. It's surrender. If you're here today, you say, I want to go to heaven. And I want to know God. Well, here's the answer. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And understand that Jesus went to a cross. I heard something this morning. It really affected me. I, my sin was what held Jesus on that cross. Do you realize that? My screw-ups is what held Jesus on the cross. He did it for me. And when you stand before God, Jesus will be there also with the scars still in his hands and on his brow. And if you're going to have the goal enough to say, well, I did this and I did that, while Jesus died for you and you never acknowledged that, that's when we're lost. If you're here today, You've never asked Jesus to forgive you of your sin. He will. 
sins of your past and your future. If you never ask him to come in your life that you may get to know him, he's right here today. All it takes is a confession. That's what it says. So we're going to pray that. And some of you are going to ask Jesus in your heart for the first time. And he'll come. Whether you feel it or not, you give him one millimeter, he's taking it all. He'll come into your life. And you will change over time for good. Ready? Let's pray that prayer. Father, I know what your word says. There are none righteous. No, not one. Father, I can't earn my favor with you. I can't earn my own salvation. But Jesus, you are the son of God. You went to a cross, sinless, and bore my sin. You were punished for my sin. Thank you, Jesus. I receive your forgiveness. Wash me clean. And now I'm clean. And now I'm a child of God. And God will never leave me nor forsake me. Jesus, you are now part of my life. And I confess you, Jesus, as my Lord and Savior. I will never be the same again. I'm saved. And I'm set free in Jesus' name.